Hi, this is Sophia Ruan Goucher, author of A to Z of Detoxing, the ultimate guide to reducing our toxic exposures, and host of this Practical Non-Toxic Living podcast. Welcome. Whenever I want a boost in my mood or energy, I connect with Kelsey Patel. She and I don't know each other that well. She lives in LA while I live in New York City, so I connect with her energy through either her podcast called Magic Vibes or her email newsletter. I also could feel her healing, loving energy when reading her newly published book, Burning Bright, Rituals, Reiki, and Self-Care to Heal Burnout, Anxiety, and Stress. Since knowing her and her work have helped me, I'm really excited to share her positive and delightful energy with you. In this podcast, which was recorded in April 2020, you'll hear Kelsey's insights on how we can release needless suffering by modifying our perspectives and the stories we tell ourselves. What's so powerful about this is that these shifts can transform how we react and interact with our life's moments. Kelsey and I also talk about how our society's value on productivity often leads us to feel burned out, anxious, unhappy, and even physical symptoms. We'll explore how we can learn from our physical symptoms. We talk about imposter syndrome and how many of us feel that we are not good enough. We also hear an intro to Reiki, which is a Japanese healing modality that intends to bring balance and harmony to the body, mind, and soul and that we should practice energy hygiene. Kelsey explains that since we are always interacting with energy, our mental and emotional body needs cleaning on a regular basis too. And one of the easiest ways is a hand-washing ritual. This podcast reminds us to take care of our energy resources and offers tips on how to do that. You'll hear about EFT, which stands for Emotional Freedom Technique, or tapping, which opens up energy or energy flow. This conversation can help everyone, but it was particularly mindful of those of you who are feeling overwhelmed, burned out, anxious, depleted, or those of you who are wondering about your life's direction. I hope you enjoy listening to this podcast and that it helps. Before we get started though, I want to recommend my newly published EMF Detox Workbook, Checklist to Recover from Electromagnetic Exposure. It simplifies what you can do to recover from toxic energy from your technology. An EMF Detox Workbook helps you focus on detoxing what you won't miss and what does not compromise your joy and convenience. Look for it on Amazon. I'll be sharing a lot more insight into this EMF detox through my email newsletter. So also subscribe by texting DETOX, spelled D-E-T-O-X, to the number 66866. Now here's my conversation with Kelsey Patel. Hello, love. Hi, Kelsey, how are you? I am good. Welcome, Kelsey Patel, author of Burning Bright. I started it late last night, and I have been thirsty to go through it. It is that makes me so happy. It's so valuable. It was exactly what I needed in this moment, and so I have no doubt it will help so many people. 
for listeners who are not familiar with Kelsey Patel, you must follow her. I'm going to introduce <laughs> you briefly. Kelsey Patel is one of Hollywood's leading wellness and Reiki experts. She's not only a sought after spiritual empowerment coach, yoga teacher, Reiki healer, and meditation teacher, but also a multifaceted entrepreneur and inspirational speaker. She is the author of the newly published Burning Bright, Rituals, Reiki, and Self-Care to Heal Burnout, Anxiety, and Stress. Kelsey's first book, Burning Bright, is a path out of pain, anxiety, burnout, and overwhelm. Kelsey will show you the tools you already possess to heal through unique rituals, Reiki, and self-care practices. Burning Bright is available wherever books are sold. I highly recommend it. You grew up in North Dakota. You had an environment that wasn't necessarily, you know, that didn't really encourage um, being in touch with your feelings. And so it's really interesting. I think a lot of people can relate to that. And I think mm -hmm. that the, the beautiful possibilities that you explain in Burning Bright for every individual is something that might feel very removed and unattainable for a lot of people, especially I live in Manhattan where it's really fast paced and a lot of people are just really into uh, creating and producing and, and achieving and they're so goal oriented, which is really wonderful. But even though it seems really obvious that I should recognize that I was burnt out, I really didn't until I was going through your book last night. I It just... <laughs> I know I'm reading your book and I'm thinking, oh my God, that's what I've been feeling. Yeah, I mean, that's the label or the description. I was totally burnt out. And so I think if if people heard more of your story of how you started and where you've ended up, they can realize, oh, that's possible for them too, which is really what Burning Bright is all about. Oh, Sophia, that gives me chills to just hear you say that. It's, and you know, you're so right. Like, uh, my story is, I don't, as much as it is unique because each of us has our own unique journey that we go through, I, I've now realized it's not unique in the sense that so many of us, and it's no fault of anyone's by any means, this isn't to point fingers, but so many of us have grown up in a way where we have associated that what we do is equated to the value of who we are. And that can be very, very um, supportive in the sense that you're right, it can help people have a very, very high level of accomplishment and a very like strong ability to persevere and to have um, diligence and to have focus and to have hard work, right? That hustle and grind that people talk about, that grit to be able to actually get done. The confusing part, especially in Western society, is that there is sort of this award and achievement placed on accomplishing and on doing. And it wasn't until, you know, and people are always like, what was your, what was your breaking moment? What was your, you know, awareness? And what was that dark hole where you finally realized you want to get out of it? And I will say, I, I don't think for years, even starting some of these spiritual practices, that I realized that my whole way of, of living and of, of doing in the world was rooted in this quality of 
unworthiness, that I wasn't good enough just as me, being me, that it was always, there had to be more to do, there was more to achieve, there was more to accomplish. And what I realize now is that I'm so not alone in that philosophy and that way of existing, but my intention and desire now is to just give people a choice, to just give people an awareness that life does not need to have needless suffering. There is going to be suffering in life. That's part of being human, of course, but there is so much self-suffering. So sort of this inflicted suffering that we do to ourselves, that that's what I really want to help people see that they can start to navigate and release on their own. I really got a lot from your book on, you use the words imprint and impressions. I would love for you to talk more about that. I think it could create a lot of aha moments for listeners, how we accumulate imprints and impressions from early on in life, and they really affect a lot of our life experience later on. Absolutely. And I dedicated a whole chapter to this in the book because it's that important, in my opinion, especially when starting out this work, because what so many people don't realize, Sophia, is their reactions and interactions with things in life is often coming from an old imprint or a trigger or a wound or a belief system. And if you aren't aware of these old imprints and belief systems that are actually driving the majority of your interactions and your ways of relating in the world, then there's no way that you can create the shifts and the relationships and even the relationships with work and finances and loved ones and strangers, right? It will all creep up at some point. And oftentimes it's in a way that is not aligned. It's in a way where an explosion or a blow up not looked at or addressed yet. And you're actually projecting it onto something in front of you that maybe sure there's a little bit of that wound, a similar experience, but it's probably not the same, not to the level or the degree to which you're making it. So to make it a little more simplified, part of what an imprint is, they can be good and they can be harmful for us as adults is When you're a kid, you might touch the stove that your parents tell you it's hot, don't touch it. You touch it, it makes an imprint. Oh, that is actually hot. That does actually hurt. So I've now put in this cognitive awareness inside this. I've embedded it into my being that stoves are hot. So I'm going to keep my distance, right? Then could be an imprint of if you are a sibling, if you have siblings, There could be, and there often is in family dynamics, sort of this idea that one sibling is titled or labeled as X and you are titled and labeled as Y. And over time, that belief system just continues to build its way into you almost as a foundational pillar of who you are. And that is not always something that may be helping and supporting you as the adult version of you. Does that make sense? It makes a lot of sense. First of all, I loved meeting you in person in your home in LA. And when we sat down after the home detox to record a podcast for Magic Vibes, your lovely, lovely podcast, I loved what you shared with me in the beginning, which was your interpretation of our first encounter. 
So we met on the street as we were entering a well and good council dinner at Donna Karen's place. And we had very different stories in our head. As I was going through your book, I was also thinking about that moment. And I had thought about that moment since you shared your experience with me, which was you probably just came in from LA, which is really casual and people dress casually. And my experience was I am so disorganized because I have like three kids. I pick them up after school's crazy. I have to get dinner ready. I have to like communicate all these things to the babysitter. And I'm trying to dress in a way to hide the fact that I feel so disorganized. I don't belong at that dinner. And to then hear you look at me thinking, oh, I'm underdressed. And then I look at you thinking, oh, I'm overdressed. (laughs) (laughs) I kind of thought about that a lot more as I just thought, how many other life moments do I unnecessarily give myself a hard time? And in your book, as you're as I was reading more of how of the stories you use to explain imprints and impressions and how that does really limit our joy, our ease. And it's so unnecessary. Like I so I think back to that moment where we met on the way to the Well and Council dinner. And I thought, God, how much do I give myself a hard time, which is so unnecessary? It's just because of the way I filter my life experience. That is so powerful, Sophia, because I'm from North Dakota. So I constantly have imposter syndrome, (laughs) believing that probably most people do, right? I'm not. Yeah, I think you're right. And it's this idea that I'm not cool enough to be at these amazing events with people that are so fashionable and seem so gracefully put together. That was a very embarrassing, I told myself it was a very embarrassing moment for me because I literally showed up in like my workout pants, maybe, or a sweat. Like I showed up so casually and I ended up buying something from her shop, which was like so much money, which God bless. But (laughs) it was was that moment where I was like, wow, what is it in the moment? Because I was so caught up in my belief that I was something to be embarrassed about. I, oh, Kelsey, you still don't get it. You still don't get how to show up to these events. And now looking back, I actually love that I showed up as myself because what better way to show up to an event, right? Well, I immediately loved it. I mean, my interpretation of your outfit was, wow, she's so comfortable in her own skin. She just arrives like LA style, just true to herself. And, but it's interesting I like to pause on this because I think a lot of women can probably relate to this. You arrive at some sort of social event and you probably scan the room wondering, do I fit in? And I felt shame for being overly dressed and you felt shame for being underdressed. But and then we both admired each other. (laughs) (laughs) Isn't that just the most ridiculous thing? It's like, when are we all going to just agree that we can stop comparing and stop judging ourselves with one another? That right there is such a liberating concept, right? Yeah. And your book does such a great job of like really breaking down more what goes on internally in us because our life experiences are a result of so much complexity. But your book 
really brings important awareness to how we experience things, which are because of our beliefs of ourselves and how we fit into the world. And it's so helpful to just simply become more aware because from that awareness, you then have the opportunity to break patterns. And to become more you. I think so often we're all doing this stuff to be like everyone else. And when you really break it down, None of us were meant to be just like each other. We were meant to be unique. We were meant to be different. We were meant to be perfectly and uniquely ourselves. And I don't mean perfect in the sense of everything spot on and right and a tidy house and using all the perfect products and having all the perfect practices and the perfect family. Like, no, I mean being perfectly and unapologetically so in love with yourself and who you are that you do not feel the need to compromising our immunity. But what if we thought about not compromising our authenticity? (laughs) I love that. I never thought about that. That's amazing. It's just a beautiful way of connecting yourself to saying, you know what? It's not worth it for me to force myself to take an extra 30 minutes to like get ready and do all these things. Let me just show up as my authentic self and trust that I am enough as I am. And everyone, and my only hope is that everyone else coming to this event shows up in their authentic form too. So why don't we talk about your journey? Because you're talking about a place we all strive to get to. I think that is my main goal is to just feel perfectly free to be me in any forum, any environment, any circumstance that I'm just really comfortable being me. And you talk in the book about it kind of started your journey of towards much more fulfillment and joy really started with, well, it didn't start, but like a meaningful event was your back pain, correct? Yes. Would you talk more about that? Because I actually have a number of friends who have back pain that can be debilitating sometimes. And I often think, oh, how interesting, like it's back pain. Like that must mean something. Oh gosh. And it does. (laughs) I think for many people, I believe wholeheartedly now that our physical pain, not always, but often is a manifestation of unprocessed emotional or mental emotional pain. And for people who experience back pain, if you think about it for a moment, your back is behind you, right? It's the past, more or less. It's representation, right? And so oftentimes people who are experiencing back pain, there is often a lot of old energy that gets stored in our back. When is it worse? And when is it maybe a little bit more alleviated? And if they find that it gets triggered or it gets flared up after a phone call or on a certain type of day, to just start to become radically curious about your pain. And you will start to find a lot of opportunity. It's like these doors that have been locked safe and sound so that you don't have to open them up again. 
And if you start to slowly go back in and just knock on the door of your pain, you will probably get a sense of relief after you look and address some of what that pain represents. You probably don't have back pain anymore, right? Not really. When I talk about this in the book, I don't ever want to dismiss the physical, structural, the biomechanics of our physical being. That's very important. As you know, everything can impact the environment in which we live and and habitat. (laughs) I certainly don't want to dismiss that there is the, the physical structure of the body that can, of course, get triggered or pinched or hurt or tension from different physical things. But for me, for the most part, I know myself well enough now. And I can say very clearly that my neck pain has always, I had pain behind in my mid back, right behind my heart, which I didn't realize for years that that was where it was, which is obviously a very big indicator of protective energy of my heart. And the other pain was often in my neck. And my neck would freeze. And even as people are hearing this, if you have back pain, you can start to sometimes feel that fear of the pain coming back. You might even be listening to the story and feel physical parts of your back sort of fire up. And what I would say to those people is our pain is a part of our path. And you do not have to have the ability to accept it and to love on it. So I know now that if my neck starts to get tense or tight or sore, I'm doing too much. I need to take a detox from my phone and emails and all of my to-dos. And I really need to get back into myself and my body. And I can pretty quickly shift any pain into like peace, but it's because I know what I have to do in order to get there. So your symptoms are communicating with you. Exactly, Sophia. It's really about, I don't ignore it anymore. If my body starts to signal something to me, I stop everything and I pay, I give it all of my attention. And so now it seems like you have a language you understand with your body, right? So when you have neck pain, you have some ideas of how you need to take care of yourself or if it's back pain or something else. Would you say that's true? Totally. I know it's so beyond even my back pain. I'm just so aware now of my physical body. And I think when I get a headache, when I feel exhausted, when I feel clumsy, when I feel burned out, when I feel, look, the book, and I say this in the book, my book is not a cure for everything. It's really an opportunity to see and know yourself. I still get all of the things humans get. But I so know how to listen now, and I know how to tend to my body, how to tend to my mind when it's racing. I know how to, and I don't always get it right, but I often do. And that's because I've been able to develop just a real sense of trust with my body and its signals to me. I don't deny them. I don't push them away or ignore them. I stop and I look at them and I listen to them. Lately, I've been thinking about how uncomfortable most people are being alone with their thoughts and how the pandemic and the stay-at-home orders that force 
more alone time must be even more uncomfortable for most people because we don't have the distractions of being really busy with activities. I loved how in Burning Bright, you really encourage people to confront their fears, to not be so afraid of what makes them uncomfortable. Would you talk more about that? Because I think it's really relevant now. I think the coronavirus probably triggers a lot of pre-existing issues that people had and were staying busy from. And I think that the stillness that we're forced to live with now is such an opportunity to make shifts, like you suggest in the book, to have an even better rest of our lives. Absolutely. I think this whole journey that we're all on together is the ultimate art of surrender. And you can fight it. You can push up against it. You can numb yourself from it. Or you can actually let it in and allow yourself to feel what surrender looks like and feels like and lives like inside of you. And oftentimes the things that people are the most afraid of are the things that will actually make them feel the most free. So of course, every one of us would love a crystal ball right now to tell us what is happening and what the next phase is going to be and what will June look like and what will May look like and what will the fall look like and all these things. We all want to have control. But in this opportunity, in this moment, you really have choice. And it might not be the choices you want, but you have choice. And the most empowering experience, I believe, for any human being is to actually take ownership of the fact that you have choice. And people want to play the victim a lot and they want to find ways to blame or to become passive or to, in the book, I talk about flight or freeze mode, right? And that's not a new concept for many people. But Right now, I actually believe we have the ability to grow and to grow exponentially in our human experience. Because if you can learn how to surrender to something like this, you will be so relieved <laughs> at whatever comes to you after this because you know how to put surrender into action. Let's talk more about surrender, especially considering the segment of the population that is burnt out because they really value productivity and achievement. I think so if we talk about surrender, then it can be more interesting to someone who is really productive. Because you're not talking about, yeah, I mean, don't be ambitious. A, oh, absolutely not. I'm talking about showing up for yourself every day, taking responsibility for your needs, your physical needs, your mental needs, your emotional needs, showing up for yourself in new ways. And also to me, surrender is really about surrendering the energy of your ego <laughs> and all of its manipulative ways to make you believe that if you do more or control a little bit more here or get a little bit more of this there or do this at the perfect time in the perfect way here. It's like putting a grip on everything that you create and do in the world so that you can control it. To me, surrender is about showing up and doing 
and contributing and giving and creating and receiving. It's, it's all the things, but it's not having attachment to the outcome of it. What do you think about what drives so much productivity that people don't sleep enough and they're really anxious and it really undermines their well-being, yet they keep working really long hours and they're not really taking care of themselves. They don't really value self-care. I'm really bad at that. Yeah. You're not alone also in that, especially because you're also a mom. So, so much of what you do and create and give every day is not in service to yourself, right? It's in service to these beings that need so much from you. So I think with this idea of how people are showing up, I think, again, it goes back to just remembering you have a choice. Like you have a choice right now. And I'm just going to speak to you for a minute, Sophia. You don't have to do the podcast. You don't have to do Instagram. You don't have to do all of your emails, right? You get to, you have the choice to. But I think where people get stuck so often is that they pretend like they don't have a choice, right? As a mom, you do have a lot of things you want your children to have an experience and and make sure that they're activated with during a quarantine experience. But you also have choice if you are tired and exhausted and you all just need a little bit of a lazy day on the couch and it's a Tuesday, or you can say, who cares? Like this is the most unbelievably unique experience that hopefully many of us will go through in this lifetime. We do not have to do everything perfectly right now. We can show up to the day as the day comes and not need to make everything happen in every single day. Yeah, that's, it's surprising how hard it is to really internalize (laughs) that. I know, that's why I say it. And I know even people who hear that will wanna resist it and will want to push up against it. And that's okay, it's very understandable. What I'm talking about is you changing everything that you've ever known, I'm talking about giving yourself permission to see with an entirely new set of glasses. And that's hard. It's an adjustment period. And at one point you were on the other side, right? Like you had a really demanding job in Washington, D.C., working a ton and probably never would have imagined you'd be this incredible, inspiring Reiki master and just inspiring in so many ways. So what would you say to someone who is listening and this just sounds not for them, like they're too far away from being able to just be comfortable, just being themselves and not having to prove so much that they're worthy and that they can just be. You talk about just being with ease, being in ease. And that's probably really, really hard for a lot of people. They really think about what that means for them to just be at ease, just as they are. Absolutely. Look, I will say that this is a lifelong journey. This is not meant to be a 30-day detox. That's not what this work is. This is a lifetime, and it's a lifetime of micro choices every day that become the macro experience of how you live life. So I would start by saying, start small. Don't overwhelm yourself or don't let your ego take control over this experience that you do it perfectly and you do it right away and you do it all. Like 
It doesn't work that way. You're going to get burned out. And it's for the opposite reason of why you started. So I would say to people, I mean, I've been doing this work for over 10 years and I still learn every day how to surrender a little bit more. And I love control. I love getting done. But I know now that that's not always the healthiest choice for me. And so while I absolutely understand and I absolutely appreciate those out there that are high achievers and are really good at getting stuff done and really good at doing, doing, doing. I would just ask you if you want to keep living your life that way, because you can, it's truly a choice. But if you're tired and if you're burned out and if you feel freedom in your life, then it's probably time to start making some, again, small, micro, mini choices every day to just start to play with what the feeling of letting go is like. So how do you recommend people start shifting their approach? I recommend my first recommendation, and I talk all about this in detail in the book, start with in the morning, as simple as waking up, put your hands on your heart and just ask yourself what you need from you for that day. Just one thing. What's one self-loving choice, one self-loving act that I can give myself today. That's it. That seems non-threatening and easy enough. Once that becomes a habit, what would the second thing be? The second thing would be, especially right now, Sophia, is take breaks. Even if you have to schedule them in for yourself, you need to learn how to diffuse the buildup of anxiety, the buildup of achieving, the buildup of doing so that it doesn't become so packed and so compounded that it takes a lot longer to slowly release it. You want to have these little mini moments of releasing the pressure within every single day. So that could look like 10-minute breaks. Do it three times a day. And that 10-minute break means no phone, no emails, no technology. It means anything else, not a chore, It just means anything else. It could be using the restroom. It could be reading 10 minutes of a book. It could be making yourself a cup of tea and just connecting with yourself about how you're feeling and how your day has been so far. Because the more that you give yourself those moments of space for self-connection, the more that your body or your mind is not going to go into overdrive. Your body's not going to need to scream at you in pain that it needs some break. So this is making me so curious. That it's like a mouse who's troll. Do you have, you must have evening rituals. Do you? Sort of, but my evening ritual is pretty simple. It's usually just like get off of my phone starting at like 6 p.m. And sometimes I'll still go on it. I don't create rules around it. I just tune into what I need. And oftentimes what I need at night is no more thinking of work. I'll often make a list of what's on my mind for the next day so I can let it go and it stays in my office. Mm -hmm. And every once in a while, if a thought comes up as they do, I'll come into the office and write it down so that I can, again, it's like an energy release. I just release it onto the paper so I can let it go from my mind. For me, my night ritual right now in quarantine is maybe taking a hot shower or a bath and then getting comfy. And my husband and I will either make dinner 
or we'll have something in the fridge already made. And then many times, not every night, but a few nights a week, we'll have a glass of wine and we'll sit outside, maybe put my feet in the grass and we'll just chat. Sometimes we'll watch a show. Sometimes I'll read. But again, like, I don't care (laughs) what it is. It's just me meeting myself in the moment to see what I feel like. Explain more to me about Reiki and like without Reiki, what generally happens with energy in our body and how does Reiki help? It's a great question. Reiki is a Japanese healing modality. You use your hands, palm chakras of your hands. We have chakras all over our body. And what's a chakra? A chakra, yeah. So it's basically an energy center seen a a book about meditation, you might see that picture where there's seven circles going down the front of a person's body, a seated person. And these energy centers very much govern the flow of energy in these different parts of our body. And in Reiki, which is a Japanese healing modality where you use your hands and the chakras that are in your hands to connect to, we'll call it universal energy right? Some people would say God, some people would say spirit, some people call it the universe. It doesn't matter. It's really about what makes you feel connected to something bigger, higher, outward of your physical body. And you connect to that. And the whole intention is to bring balance and harmony to the mind, body, and spirit. And why is it important? Well, look at the age we live in. In the book, I talk about the mess of being human, that's all of part one, and that we live in this age of anxiety, right? Think about all the things we're bombarded with every day from billboards to ads, to social media, to emails, to telephones, to TV, to the pace in which we are all being asked to live. That is very different than any generation before us. So there needs to be not only the awareness of your energy levels. So the same way that people have their physical hygiene, you brush your teeth, you wash your face probably most days, you will wash your hair now and then (laughs) during quarantine. (laughs) And it's the same thing with our energy. You have an energetic hygiene. You have mental hygiene, right? So if you're not the same way you wash and clean your physical body, The book really is trying to help you see that you also have a mental body and an emotional body to be cleaning and clearing on a more regular basis, meaning most people don't do it at all. So I'm not telling you to do it every day. I'm just giving you different tools and ways that you can start to do it in easy ways. Like one of the easiest ways is a hand washing ritual. And it sounds so simple and so easy and almost silly but I'm telling you, it can help clear energy. Hmm. Yeah. Interesting. What do you mean by energy hygiene? You, Sophia, have armpits and you have teeth and you have these different physical parts of your body that you wash, that you take care of, that you do upkeep with, right? It's the same way with energy. We are composed of energy. As Einstein reminds us, E equals MC squared. We are made up and composed of energy. That energy can carry frequency. It it can carry vibrations. Some people would say, ugh, that person is so negative. And just being around them starts to make you feel 
like you need to take a shower or like clear it off. That's a feeling of energy. If you go into a store or if you go into a certain place and it's bright and it's so happy and it feels so good, that's an energy. So we are always interacting with energy. And that is in the book why I really want to teach people how to become familiar with their own energy resource so that they can do work to support it. I love that idea. I never thought about consciously maybe washing away or releasing energy that I don't want to hold on to that really wasn't mine to begin with. Yes. Interesting. Would you talk about tapping and how does that help? EFT stands for emotional freedom technique. It's also known as tapping. And in tapping, we're really opening up the energy channels of the body. So most people have heard of acupuncture or maybe even tried it. And the same way that acupuncture needles are placed in different parts of the body to help open up the chi, open up the energy flow. That is a part of what we're doing with EFT, also known as tapping, is we're tapping on these parts of the body while verbally speaking out loud whatever the desire to feel, to fix, to adjust, to clear the energy. So it works amazing for people who are in physical pain, amazing. It's incredible for anxiety to diffuse it, transform. And by transform, I mean shifting the frequency. Like there's so much energy used up for anxiety. There's so much energy used up when you're in physical pain. And you have the ability to change the frequency of that energy to joy, to peace, to harmony, to strength. And that's what I really hope people, if they take nothing else away from today's podcast, I just want them to give permission to themselves to be aware that that is possible. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for helping us learn that we can clear our energy. We can transform negative, heavy energy into something light and beautiful and joyful and fulfilling for us and for burning so bright yourself to inspire so many. Thank you, Sophia. I'm so honored to be able to share this on your podcast. And thank you for the light and the brightness that you are and that you share. Thanks for listening. Podcast show notes can be found at my website at nontoxicliving.tips. To more easily listen to other episodes, please subscribe to the Practical Non-Toxic Living Podcast. And if you'd like to support it, then please like it and share it. Until next time.